Chapter One. This is the story behind one of the greatest manhunts in history. Maybe you read about it, or rather what they let you read about it, probably is some minor item buried somewhere on a back page. However, what happened in that city between May 16th and May 28th of this year was so incredible that to this day the facts have been suppressed in a massive effort to save certain political careers from disaster and law enforcement officials from embarrassment. This will be the last time I will ever discuss these events with anyone. So when you have finished this bizarre account, judge for yourself its believability, and then try to tell yourself, wherever you may be, it couldn't happen here. Society's 31 Days of Horror. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Nez back. Heat Society's 31 Days of Horror continues. Uh, you heard him earlier in the beginning of the month, and now he's back for the middle of the month. We got the uh, writer and director of Cinema Red, uh, The Smudging. And a new one that's going to be showing down in San Francisco at the American Indian Film Festival. Uh, more updates on that in a second, but we got Mike J. Marin with me. What's up, brother? What's up, man? How's it going? Good, 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 man. Just uh, can't wait for uh, the screening in San Francisco. What do you got to say about <laughs> it? Uh, it's, it's exciting. I mean, I'm uh, going to get to see the hometown crowd and let them uh let them take a look at what uh what i got next um but yeah it's always it's always exciting to be accepted by uh film festivals especially uh native ones american indian film festivals uh one of the first ones that started god a number of years ago when we were kids when we were little kids they had that festival going and to have my my second film be accepted uh the first one being the smudging um, which the highlight of that was I got to see my film on an AMC screen. So I thought that was pretty dope. But um, this one, looking forward to it. Uh, it's a short, short story called The Parties Downstairs. Um, it premiered, it first premiered in Chicago at the First Nations Film and Video Festival um, in May. So this time uh, Bay Area gets to see this one. So yeah, but I'm, I'm excited, you know, excited and I uh, hope, uh, Shoot, I hope uh, Marky can come out, man, because he, you know, Nez's son, my nephew, is is one of the actors in the film, and I really want him to see it with a big crowd. So yeah, hopefully he can make it out. Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, I was texting him today, and he was kind of unsure, but we still got a couple more weeks before we uh, head out there. But definitely, it's gonna be awesome to see it on the screen. I've seen it already. Um, but I'm biased because of who I, I know Mike. So, I mean, everything he makes is good to me, but it's good to see when there's people that, that don't know you that they come out uh, to see the film. So hopefully there's a big crowd and any of you guys are going to be there. Uh, I will be recording uh, little videos while I'm there and uh, mainly with Mike and, and the cast. Uh, hopefully Donnie can make it out and Marky as well as Aaliyah. And uh, is John John going to make it? John is supposed to be there as well as um, Shay. Um, Shay should be there too. So hopefully all the cast show up. Um, just real quick, uh, if you show up to the screening, uh, I'm going to have 20 
20 exclusive signed mini posters of uh, the parties downstairs. So if you show up, make sure you find me and uh, scoop you up a poster. And where's it going to be at again? It's at the Brava Theater, San Francisco. I believe it's 2781 uh, 24th Street. Uh, you might want to Google that just to make sure I'm right. Um, but it's at the Brava Theater in San Francisco. All right. There will be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, one full feature. Uh, Mike's short film that's what half hour? Yeah, about half hour. Yeah. And then a bunch of other ones that will be like uh, minutes long. I mean, I think the shortest one is, if I'm right, this it says thirty seconds. But okay. Uh, <laughs> the the title. I think it's a commercial or oh, something. Okay. The the titles of these films. I'm just going on order that's on the website. I don't know if this is. Um, the official order of them, the, the night they're going to be shown is Know Your Culture, Keep It Traditional 2. That's directed by uh, the NCIDC students. Uh, I guess it's just a public service uh, PSA. So, um, geez, I, I can't even pronounce this. The Dodbon, I think that's how you say it. First Light. Directed by Lisa Jackson. Uh, it says animated short. Okay, too long to read the synopsis. But if you guys, I'll put a link up on the Facebook page for uh, the the night uh, Mike's film is showing. You guys can look into more of these Ooh, these native titles. Um, <laughs> Kaka Tshat. I think that's how you say it. Directed by Eve Ringoet. The eight-minute documentary short film from Canada. The next one is Red Power from by Esteban Manuel. It's four minutes live short. Uh, the party's downstairs. Director Mike J. Marin. Twenty-eight minutes. What's a live short? I I think it's a play. Oh, okay. Yeah, might get up there and perform it. <laughs> oh, this next one I can't. I don't even want to try to pronounce with K. I don't know. K-A-I-Y-I-I. You guys pronounce it. Uh, directed by Joshua C. Manyheads. 14 minutes. Is it Crossers? Yeah. That's directed that's by Jennifer. Baron Chick. Yeah, and that's seven minutes long. Uh, Zombies and Aliens. Directed by Keith Lawrence. That's a 12-minute live short from Canada. Uh, I had mentioned this on the show before because I kind of just came across it on Instagram. Uh, what is it aliens or Indians? I'm sorry, zombies and uh, Indians. Is that what I said, or did I say? Did I say aliens? I don't know. One of those things. <laughs> and this same one, thing. Yeah, this next one is a full feature. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce the. It's got the cops over there. Yeah, that's L.A. man. So. <laughs> uh, but let me give it a shot. Sagawaway. Is that the werewolf one? I don't know. It's the, the ku, Kuuna, I think that's how you say, and Edge of the Knife. Um, uh, it doesn't say yes. anything about werewolves, but I don't know. Uh, I think one of those films is about some a shapeshifter, skinwalker, or some damn thing. Yeah, uh, yeah this is in the 1800s. That is seasonal fishing camp. Two families 
endure conflict between the noblemen. Uh, I don't even want to try to pronounce that native word. And his best friend, Kawa. After the jeez, Editsi, I don't know how to say this native word, causes an accidental death of uh, the Kawa's son. He flees into the rainforest, descending into madness and transforming into... I can't pronounce this word, other, but it's the what the, the wild man is what it's a native word. Uh, one of the tribes from Canada, so I, I already butchered enough. Uh, when the families return to the spring, they discover um, whatever whatever has survived and winter survived the winter. Can he be rescued and return to his humanity? Meanwhile, the whoever whoever wrestles with the deepest desire revenge. Okay, sounds cool. Uh, but that's the full feature. That that one's an hour and forty minutes, and this whole thing starts at uh, seven. So, and it's supposed yeah, to be, it's supposed to have a it's supposed to have a Q and A after too. After the whole thing, or after each of them? I think after, uh, I think after the short films, um, and then they'll do the feature, and then have a one more Q and A. I think that's how they're going to do it. All right. Well, we'll see when we get down there. But again, I'll be making videos and we'll try to interview uh, everybody in the cast for Mike's uh, film. Uh, most likely, if that's not, it might be a bonus on Halloween because uh, I will. I'll, I'll drop another episode that day before I head out. And uh, I don't know. We might. You guys might hear it November first or second or whenever I get back home. So, but yeah, looking forward to that. So that was cool. We can get that out of the way and we're going to come back to it before the night of and after. Uh, so everyone get ready for that. All right. But tonight we are here for the 1972 TV film, The Night Stalker. May I introduce myself? My name is Cole Shack of the Daily Chronicle. Cole Shack. Reports the bizarre, the supernatural, the unexplainable. You again in another crazy story. This nut thinks he is a vampire. You know what I call that? Irresponsible yellow journalism. He has killed four, maybe five women. I saw that so-called super killer wipe up the streets with your so-called police force. They don't want any help from amateur bloodhounds like you. I've been a reporter for 22 years. I've been a police officer for 30. Well, then why don't you retire? Each man on the field is issued one of these and uh, one of these. Are you suggesting that we pound one of these into Scorzini's chest? No, no, into his heart. Darren McGavin, the Night Stalker. Um, this is, yes, you guys, for you old schoolers, Kolchak, he had his series called the Night Stalker, but this was this before all that. Yeah, this is the pilot. This is the first one. Okay, because I remember what once the show started, I thought it was a um, continuation. Like, oh, what's it gonna be fighting more more um, vampires? So I was like, ah, oh, but now it just turned out to be other other adventures. Uh, there was another film that came out after this. I don't know how much longer. Um, the Night Strangler. That one was pretty good. I haven't seen that one in a while, but. Um, the Night Stalker. I I think it was my dad who who uh, 
got me watching this because I'm sure I didn't see this much until later into the 80s, uh, maybe uh, late 70s when um, it came out on the uh, the 330 movie. I remember you mentioned it. Uh, we we're talking yeah. about gargoyles. So my dad, I'm she, my dad loves Darren McGavin, and I'm sure he was a Night Stalker fan. So plus he was uh, a fan of uh, Sheriff Lobo. Um, what's that guy's name? Claude Aikens. So, yeah, yeah Urko, he, General Urko. Yeah, him. <laughs> that's right. He was him, huh? He, he yeah. was the bad guy in uh, the battle for the Planet of the Apes. But, um, so yeah, so I was like, okay, cool. So I sat there and watched it. My dad had didn't know no idea it was gonna be uh, a vampire tale, and uh, it spooked me out, and it, it still spooks me out now watching this. I mean, yes, it's 1972, but uh, this is still an awesome film. A quick little synopsis. After several high-profile new newspapers fire him for his difficult attitude, investigative journalist Carl Kolchak, Darren McGavin, finds a job following the police beat for a small Las Vegas publication. When Carl discovers a series of dead showgirls drained of blood with bite marks on their necks, the police hesitate to take the case any further, and his boss wants nothing to do with the story the story leading carl to believe there may be real vampire prowling the streets of las vegas um when did you first uh, see this film i watched it god i think i was probably about maybe five or six um i watched it really late at night on cbs uh it was on like saturday at eleven thirty. it was on after the news um i watched it with uh with my brother Chuck and, and my mom. And I just remember sitting up and just like loving it. Cause it was just so it's, I mean, a lot of people that have watched it think it's really cheesy, but man, look, if you grew up around that time, that's what you had and you appreciated it. And to this day, it's still, it's a timeless classic. I mean, you can't beat it. First of all, number one is Darren McGavin, the old man from Christmas story. Can't beat that. And his just the energy that he brought to the role of Carl Kolschak is dope. This, the idea of a, va- a vampire loose in Las Vegas, you know, that was that was all, that's also a captivating parts of the story. But it's just really cool to to have that memory of sitting up late at night eating popcorn with your brother and your mom and watching this film, which a lot of films that a lot of scary movies that I've seen. We're in the exact same setting um, late at night on a Saturday. But yeah, uh, and then years later, it would. I remember like in October um, when we were kids, Channel uh, ABC had the 330 movie. And um, they would always have a week of just scary films. And one of them was The Night Stalker. Shoot, I remember all five of them. It was. gargoyles the night stalker uh satan's triangle the norless tapes and oh what was there was one more um oh uh moon of the wolf and so yeah and uh occasionally they'd have one called snow beast which is like about this killer bigfoot type creature killing people at this winter resort and um yeah a lot of those movies you could find like uh, kina lorber uh, video company puts them out on Blu-ray, so if you can find them, uh, swoop them up because those are those are classic flicks. And um, a lot of them are on on YouTube, especially uh, 
you know, um, check this one out too, Nez. Um, Satan's Triangle. It's that one's creepy. Is, that one is really creepy. It's on YouTube. All right, but yeah, see. Um, that sounds familiar. It's with those uh, those two Coast Guard pilots that find that boat in the ocean. It's empty, and then one dude goes down there and he finds like the crew dead, but he finds this woman, and then she tells him the story of what happened to the crew. Uh, I'm just it's, looking at it's pictures. Creepy. Yeah, it's I like I, it, I think I did see this, but did when I did, it was I don't know, thirty years ago. So I'll, I'll have to check that one out again. Yeah, the main main actors, the, the two pilots were uh, uh, Brad and uh, Doug McClure. So yeah, this it, it, that that one's good. But yeah, Night Stalker. That first, the, I I always caught it when it came on. Uh, when it came on the three thirty movie, yeah, because it says here it was uh, it was made for uh, ABC Movie of the Week, so that was cool. And yeah, Darren McGavin, he's awesome. Uh, a lot of you know him mainly from just uh, either Toy, not yeah, not Toy Story, Christmas Story, or uh, Billy Madison's dad, uh, Mister Madison. I can't remember his name in that, but uh, this one was good, man. I mean, like like I said in the synopsis, Carl Kolchak, he was just a, a news reporter, just trying to, always trying to get that exclusive story, and then uh, all of a sudden, all these, these murders started happening in Las Vegas. This is the old, uh, the old one street Vegas before, not, not for you youngsters, the way Vegas is now, isn't how it was the very first time I went there in the seventies. It was like how it was in this movie. This yeah, all Fremont those, Street. Yeah, all those um, giant casinos, the the pyramids, and, and none of that was there. This was just uh, the old stuff that I think a lot of these uh, hotels aren't even there anymore. I know they blew some up, and I know they blew one up in uh, what was that? Uh, uh, Mars attacks. Uh, they blew one up in that, and, and everything. So, like, pretty much all old Las Vegas is gone, except for Fremont Street. That's that's pretty much there. But um, I loved. I just love the style of the '70s, the way everyone dresses and, and the, the hairstyles, and uh, I really love how the the police officers look in this. And either every all the police officers just wore helmets or. <laughs> yeah, they it, around that time, like even in a like another another good seventies uh, cult classic I watched the other night, uh, Blackula. Um, even the cops in there in L.A. were wearing those white uh, motorcycle helmets. Yeah, I mean, so that, I guess that was just a thing back in the day. Oh, all right. I mean i i only I only see those helmets in in these old uh, in these old films, but. So yeah, that was pretty much the synopsis. Women just start turning up. This movie's like really fast. It's only what seventy four minutes, so there's not really any time for it to to take a breath because it's just like boom, 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 boom. Uh, well, it was probably like two hours with all the commercials, but when you watch it on YouTube or, or Blu-ray or what have you, it's it's really quick because I threw it in and next thing you know it was over. I I picked it yeah. up on Blu-ray and it's an awesome transfer. So. Uh, definitely pick that up if you guys can find it or just order it online. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, just these women just started disappearing. I mean, with our 
they, or they find him dead. Um, there was one scene I was I loved that, that still creeped me out. I mean, it wasn't nothing. Um, they find this one lady on the side of a, I guess on the side of the highway, but her body is what a few yards away, maybe half football field length. Yeah, in this little uh, this little um, like ravine, um, and it's all on sand. And when when the officers are down there, they were like, "How did she get over here?" Because there's no footmarks, footprints there's out no, there. There's no footprints leading leading to or from, just ours. Yeah, because like this lady was just laying there, and and like I said in the synopsis, when they find these ladies, um, they're all just workers that all these late night workers that leave uh, the casinos, uh, the bar maidens, or maybe a dancer or something. And uh, yeah, there's teeth marks in them, and their blood is drained. But they're just kind of like throwing. I mean, uh, Kolchak was the one throwing around. Well, maybe maybe it's a vampire, but the cops don't want nothing to do with it. They think it's stupid, especially uh, Claude Aikens' character. Um, he was <laughs> guy's awesome. Sheriff Warren, a butcher. He is not having any of it, uh, as well as the district attorney and and the chief of police. Everyone's like, uh, nobody wants to hear him, but he's like, well, there's no other explanations on what what's happening because there, because right from the very get go, uh, a lady just boom, she gets murdered. Uh, other ones, well, even 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 when like the the uh, coroner, who's played by uh, uh, Larry Linville, who played Frank Burns on uh, Mash, um. He even when he tells them at the press conference or in that meeting, like we found saliva, human saliva in these wounds, and they're just like, "What?" Okay, when again, Kolchak's the one that yeah, he starts putting everything together. But um, yeah, it's 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 funny how like it, it's like <laughs> right in your face, but these fools don't want to just listen to it. They're just like, "Nah, it's probably some maniac." That that guy, the um. Was that the uh, district attorney is like uh, he's he's either high on pot or the hard stuff, <laughs> so they <laughs> immediately think it's a uh, it's just some kind of some dude. And even Kolchak at first is like some guy's running around out there that thinks he's a vampire. Yeah, but I then mean, you what, know what was cool that I love in this is it's always the the, the first person uh, camera view. Because uh, you, you see the women standing there or walking to the car. Next thing you know, you just see the camera peeking around and then walking towards them. I mean, I love, I've always loved those those old school shots. Yeah. I mean, I think the last time they did it, was at, which was amazing, was in uh, uh, last year's Halloween. That one shot where the camera goes down the side of the house, into the garage, and then into the house. When uh, Michael kills uh, that babysitter in there, I just I just loved how they did that. Um, Halloween did it, and uh, pretty much a, a lot of these horror films did it. But in this one, early seventies, um, it was awesome because we never really see the guy in the beginning because they're just too busy. The cops are trying to piece it together. Kolchak is trying to piece it together, and yeah, nobody nobody wanted to hear it. And then the other thing that was funny, though, every time they had uh, um, like news briefings or something, there'd be a room full of reporters, TV cameras, everything. And then they were like, OK, no one can say anything about this. I'm like, Well, why are you? Why do you have all <laughs> even, these people? In <laughs> even as uh, even uh, one of the best characters in 
this movie and in the Night Strangler and the series was his boss, um, Anthony Vincenzo, played by Simon Oakland. Um, their banter in this show is classic. In this movie is classic. Like, he's like, well, did I read it wrong in your story? Did you say it was a vampire? And he's like, well, dude, some dude thinks he's a vampire. And he's like, there's some maniac running loose in Vegas. His last name begins with a K. And he's just like always telling him to get out, get out, <laughs> out. And it's just his boss too. Like has some of the best lines in the, you know, like of, of course the number one thing that they tell Kolshak is that, you know, we can't print a story like this because it's bad for business. And Kolshak's like, ah, that's it. That's why you won't, because uh, you know, it's all about money. But then finally, I think the twist comes when he gets seen when somebody sees him. Um, sees uh, the killer, the vampire, she commit a murder. Yeah. And they give his description to the uh, newspaper, and they put, you know, they put his picture out. Yeah, once that, once they did that, that's when, uh, when we finally get, we finally start to get to see, and we see this character. And how did they, how did they find out who it was? Well, oh, the, oh no, wait a minute, that was something else. But um, yeah, I can't remember how they found out. I mean, his name and everything. They, um, let's see, they, they, um, I don't know. I, I always thought they never really said, they just said that in one, in that scene when it, when Kolshak is like, and the maniac has now been named and it's like, well, how did they, unless they sampled his blood, but, um, I don't know like how they would do that because like he doesn't. I don't know how in the folklore they didn't have blood. You know, they're always supplying their own with somebody else's. But the one scene that I thought was really cool is like the first real action scene is when he's in the when the vampires in the blood in the the room at the hospital stealing blood, and those orderlies come to fight him, and he's just like handling them all with one hand. Like that's back in the day, man. Them stuntmen had no fear, like no pads, nothing. They just went for it even like when he throws one dude out the window that dude just flew out the window <laughs> but just to see and like that always amazed me was him holding that bag full of those bottles of blood but he was still handling all those fools with just one arm and just throwing them all over the place like i don't fight like 10 orderlies then the police show up but then also kolshak tells the district attorney like she your dude shot him like he was shot about 30 or 40 times. He didn't go down. So either all your men are, are blind or, you know, or they just can't shoot or this dude's something else. And even still, they don't believe him. I, I, the scene that was uh, right before uh, the big fight at the hospital, which I loved is when we first, uh, we see the character, we see the back of him really. And he's walking through um, a casino because they, they, the news came out and said, yeah, we got a description of him and here he is. And they throw him right on uh, the front cover of the newspaper, which is an awesome picture. I mean, whoever was the sketch artist drew him perfectly. It was like a, like a photograph that they drew. Yeah. So he kind of looks at the paper and he's, he never says anything throughout the whole show. But you see, he's mad. And he just starts walking through the casino. And I love how everybody just stares at him like whatever even like someone one of the girls stop and looks at him and must realize that oh this is the guy they're looking for so he uh then we go to a lady walking 
walking outside and um she she you can see he's lurking around the background and then she kind of he starts walking towards her and she sees him and she opens up the the back door of her car and her dog jumps out and runs up to him and he just basically grabs the dog and just snaps its neck um i don't know if of a lot of i don't know what time of year this uh all this was taking place but uh leaving your car and uh, looked like all the windows were rolled up and vegas is hot uh for for the summer so uh, i don't know <laughs> i wouldn't leave my dog in the car no matter even if it was cold <laughs> but she obviously just got off her shift and left her her dog sitting in the car all day so i'm sure he did his business a few times in there but anyway that's besides the point so he, he kills he kills her dog and then it ends up killing her and uh, they keep finding ah we got another one we got another one they kept saying ah we got another one that they just keep finding uh, these dead girls everywhere now the other one they didn't fi- they what? didn't find her though remember he took her he took that one yeah he took that's the one he had in his uh in his house oh okay that was her. The, took up to the bottles yeah he was just draining her I think the the when they actually got um when they actually seen him is when he uh killed that one lady in front of the house and uh that girl the the girl who died her mom saw him so yeah she's the one that gave him the description yeah we're jumping all over the place everyone but this this movie's really short so and then we get to the hospital and that awesome fight scene this is when we actually see uh what the vampire or the, the killer looks like and they do find out that his name is Janos Skorzenski Skorzeny Skorzeny yeah i think that's what it was yeah. so. which real quick is also remember that to, that show that was on Fox uh Werewolf it was um, came out in the 90s like early 90s Werewolf okay there's yeah look, look it up there's a show called Werewolf and it came out in the '90s. Chuck Connors was in it. Anyway, he was the vamp. He was the werewolf that turned the main character. So all through the show, uh, this dude's trying to find that guy and kill him. But that was the name also of the main werewolf in that was a uh, Janice Scorzini. But yeah, that that show was that show was pretty show. dope. Yeah, it was. It was only on for like one season, but. It was a. Uh, it was pretty good. I mean, the transformation scenes were pretty dope, and um, the werewolf. It was like gargoyles. The werewolf. Anytime they showed it, it was a pretty cool looking werewolf. Uh, but anytime they, he moved, it was all in slow motion, like they how they used to do with the Hulk, and uh, with gargoyles. Uh, so you, yeah, you never saw him moving like really fast. It was always just slow motion. I also did that with uh, Steve Austin and a uh, Six Million Dollar Man. Every time he yeah, was it's like, moving fast, it, it was all slow. That's what made me laugh. It's like, you know, he's faster than this and that. But it's like, then why you show him and run all slow? I know. I mean, it's <laughs> like, it, it was never like, pure, like it took off like the flash. It was like, then he start running. He never ran super fast, but that's besides the point, everyone. Uh, but that was an awesome show. I love a $6 million man. They're supposed to be making a movie, but 
I think uh, it went up a few million, maybe like uh, the six billion dollar man. Cause six million dollars, six million dollars ain't a lot of money. It's a lot to it's, us, but for <laughs> the big wigs, I to, guess a million dollars ain't a lot anymore. It's supposed to be Mark Wahlberg. That's too that's short. When, when I heard that, in the, well, look at Stallone, man. They make Stallone look taller than me, and I'm six two. That dude's all of five five. I don't yeah. know. Even Ron Perlman. Ron per- I thought Ron Perlman was tall. I'm taller than he is. Well, he was... But, I think he's about as tall um, as me. But with uh, what was going on, I mean, once they got to the hospital and uh, we finally get to see him, yeah, Mike went through that awesome fight scene. Um, I guess back in the day, they kept all the the blood in bottles, because I, I know now I'm basing this from from movies. Everyone, uh, they're in those little blood bags, so I guess that, yeah. I guess that is cheaper than glass. And I'll give it to him, man. I mean, he was he was obviously super strong because he ran through all the orderlies. And uh, let's say those bottles were maybe two liters, but glass is heavy, and he had a few of those in there. So fighting all the orderlies and then fighting all the police and uh, getting hit riddled with bullets. I mean, they obviously didn't shoot that bag and everything. So, I mean, I thought this was cool. Man. When we find out later why he was uh, stealing the blood, because you figure why why is a vampire stealing blood from a bank when he just could just go out there and, and suck it fresh right uh, out of these ladies, out of his victims. But. So all that, and they they find that they they have that battle, and they're, they're still they're not buying it because Kolchak is telling them, "Don't you guys know this guy? He, there's something wrong with him. He's a vampire." And they're like, "Ah, we don't we don't believe you." But they, yeah, he he was he took pictures of that of that um, of him when they were having that gun when they were having that fight at the hospital, and he even told them, like he out of his bullet wounds, it was just, it wasn't blood; it was just like clear fluid was coming out of him so even then they're still like ah, you know whatever dude shut up basically Tim ah, you don't know what you saw and I mean, out of all those cops and everybody that was there nobody had his back like no one said yeah uh, this is what happened and we can't explain it I mean I don't know I didn't understand that why why did no ever nobody ever come to his defense but the, o- the only one in that one was the coroner at the beginning, he said, you know, um, he said that even though, you know, Kolchak's viewpoints are highly speculative, they're not altogether unwarranted. That's what he said, meaning like, you know, even though he's guessing, I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss what he's talking about. So and then his friend, he had his buddy was a FBI, um, his buddy Bernie. Uh, he was there kind of helping him out. But uh, ultimately, he kept telling him, you know, Carl, like, be cool, man. Stop stop talking so much because then you're going to hinder the investigation. And, you know, he was just trying to be his friend. But you, you see, like, through the show, uh, Kolchik has people helping him out, like the, the doctor and then that one uh, operator lady helped him find the address and of that guy. And just, you know, he had little people helping him here and there. But, like, when it always comes to him – no, because as we the viewer know he's right because we're seeing things he's seeing 
but yet nobody higher up likes like oh finally all right all right let's listen to him so yeah he he always gets hit with a brick wall and of course his uh his number one uh, obstacle is always his editor who's always telling him yeah change your story you gotta change the story you can't say it's a vampire you can't say this you can't say that and he's like dude aren't we a newspaper we're supposed to be reporting news but you're telling me not to so what the hell it seems like um, this is what I got the all the 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 mayor and everybody the chief of police and and all them and and Sheriff Lobo they um, <laughs> Sheriff Lobo he, and Claude Akins, that's all I see is Sheriff Lobo uh, the, sure. the B what's from, that from B J and the Bear uh, but then <laughs> then the, the spinoff show was uh, Sheriff Lobo and uh, his uh, his deputy Perkins oh, that show was awesome I love. That. I mean, that's, there's, there's a concept you can't get tired of, BJ and the Bear. Story about a man and his BJ, <laughs> BJ and the Bear. Uh, that always reminds me of that scene in, uh, in Death Proof. <laughs> Eli Roth. It's like, dang, BJ, where's the bear? He's proud of damn. See, I mean, I love that show, man. Whatever happened to that actor? Too? For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, I'm sure you older, older folk remember BJ and the Bear and Sheriff Lobo. Um, they, it was a show that came out on NBC. So uh, if you don't know, look it up. It was an awesome show. Uh, I love the the theme song for uh, BJ and the Bear. Um, I don't want to sing it, but yeah, it was awesome. Look it up, everyone. <laughs> so I mean, the, the the Sheriff Lobo and and all those guys, they were like, they were more worried about their reputation. If if the news got out that this, this Scorzini guy uh, was so called vampire. It seemed like they kept going. If, if this gets out, we're going to be the laughing stock of the country. I mean, they did. They just kept worrying about their reputation. And I mean, I understand Las Vegas is is a money town. You you bring all these people in there with for for the shows and and what have you and the gambling and everything. But um, Vegas has changed, uh, especially from uh, from the seventies. Uh, my friend lives down there, and she stays away from all of that stuff. So she goes, I never go down there if I don't have to. Um, but so yeah, he was always hitting obstacles. Like no, nobody wanted to believe that what he was saying. So he was just like, huh, he was always trying to figure out some other way to get his story across because other than his editor that was just editing his story and, and taking all the facts out of it, uh, I, I just, <laughs> uh, it just kept getting me mad because he's, I mean, we know who Carl Kolchak is. He's getting his story. But nobody wants to pu- publish his story. Uh, the other cool thing I liked is his little buddy that he had. He goes, hey, man, I want you to go to all the real estate agents and show this picture and let, ask if if any of them has sold a house or whatever to this guy. So he ends up disappearing. Then we get another awesome uh, police chase. Kolchik uh, uh, is like basically just driving down the boulevard and He's got a police scanner in his car, and he hears that um, uh, they they spot the uh, the suspect, and there's a big police chase, and he's just driving through this neighborhood, and then they kind of corner him. He jumps out, uh, beats some cops up in front of this house, and then he jumps a fence, and they have this big battle in the backyard by the pool. And um, I, I really loved how he looked. Other than he was getting shot, and he was just throwing the cops all over the place, and they all fall into the pool, and he gets out beats up some more cops there must have been about five or six of them uh that jumped him and all got beat down but right before he jumps over the over the wall i mean 
this was another thing. I mean, Kolchak just runs right into the action and just yeah <laughs> pulls out his little old school camera and just starts taking pictures, snapping away. But how uh, Skorzeny looked when he stops and turns around and looks, his eyes are – did he get shot in the head? Uh, it's like he, he fell and he hit he split his head open, but shit, they hit him with shotguns and uh, Bernie hit him with that with that – shotgun and the other guy shot him and he fell and that part was always cool how he fell and then the lights come on on the by the poolside and then when he turns and looks and his eyes are all red and black and how he just but what i thought was cool was like as tough as those cops were when he turned around and looked at them they all stopped they just like all stopped and looked at him and then he just got up and brought over the fence I know, even as he and was, they shot him some more. Yeah, as he was jumping over the wall, man, you just see all these bu- these bullets hitting him in the back and and everything, and he gets away. And then and then and then another thing, we go we go to another big police uh, briefing, and and Kolchik is telling him this this is what I saw, this is what happened, and they're like, nah, nah, they they just don't want to believe him. Uh, for at at uh, that point, though, finally the district attorney was like. They well, they dismiss all the reporters, and Kolchak stays there. And then <laughs> Sheriff Lobo is like, you know, because Kolchak is like, "Are you guys now ready to hear my ideas?" And he's like, "Kolchak, get out of here!" And the district attorney's like, "Wait," he's like, "Hold on, Sheriff." He's like, "Kolchak, you were there, like you saw what happened. What what happened?" And and he's just like, "Your men couldn't stop him. Like the only way you're going to stop him is." That's when he pulls out his bag of tricks. It's the only way you're going to stop him. And pulls out his uh, his mallet and his stake and his crucifix. It's like, you know, and then at that point, that's when they're like, are you telling us that we got to hunt him down like he's a vampire? And he's like, yeah, because he is. <laughs> I like the way he says that. He's like, yes, gentlemen, it appears as though we have a real live vampire on our hands. And the way he says it is just like, I told you guys from the beginning and you're not listening. <laughs> Yep, <laughs> he's got this 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 little smart ass smile and his arms are crossed. But what I loved right with that is he goes here. I want you to issue all of these to all your officers, and that's when he pulls out the crucifix and the the, the wood stake and the mallet. I guess you don't need a wood mallet. Hammer the butt of your gun and would work. But <laughs> I wanted to know: did they did they actually give those to all officers? Probably, I don't know, maybe they did it, but probably just to humor him. They said they was going to do it, but because you never see it. Because, like, immediately when Kolshak leaves that meeting, um, he gets in his car, and that little dude, the real estate guy, um, tells him that, yeah, um, I found the house. I know where that guy's at. I love I love that scene because when he goes, hey, man, I found it, and then it the music was kind of like done and then it then it fades to black basically it went to commercial because <laughs> i remember yeah. the first time watching it and i'm all, all little guy all into it and he goes and i found the house and then they should know commercial ah <laughs> <laughs> you gotta wait for it to what, come back on like what one scene that i liked that had a good cut like it just built up the suspense to then kolshak delivers the line was when he tells his girlfriend who after he gets that phone call when he's with his girlfriend and he's like, uh, she's like, what was that? He's like, the killer's done it again. And she's like, Oh no. And he goes, but this time 
he was seen. And then that music, like the music in that is really just, just can't can't beat it. It's like just like scary jazz. Yeah, man, it was cool, man. I loved. uh, I guess it was his theme. But oh, uh, just real quick, so for for the listeners, if you ever want to see one of the coolest openings of a TV show, Google or YouTube, the opening to the Night Stalker series. And remember how it started with him walking in, and it's all dark, and he's whistling, and then he just sits down and starts typing, and then the music changes. The music in in the theme song to the Night Stalkers TV series is dope too. But yeah, um, this one had <laughs> those little musical cues and the way they they cut to commercial. It, it was it was like, oh come on, man, we we'll keep going. But yeah, and then we get to the. Get, get back and he goes to the house big old house and a uh, big old dark ass house and goes in and uh which he he finds all that stuff right in those those uh foot lockers like disguises makeup all yeah. that stuff and then he wow. finds his blood he finds that that uh fridge with blood oh first of all go back a little bit when we find out who the guy is they're at this big press conference and the FBI dude is telling him, like, dude was around since 1917 because he was a doctor who would work on freshly killed air raid victims during World War One and Two. And they're like, what? Are you telling me this guy's like over 70 years old? I'm like, yeah, you know, and they start to find out, like, he he showed up here wherever there was disasters and killing and, and he was always there. So that's when they they kind of tracked him, and then he came to Vegas. They tracked tracked him in Vegas, but they just couldn't find him until Carl got that that little dude to um, help him out. When <laughs> that little that little guy is a, played by an actor named Alicia Cook Jr., and he was in Salem's Lot, and he was also he's a vampire thing. He's in Salem's Lot. He was in um he was in Blackula. Also, he was the dude that was on the phone when that chick comes running out of the room. I don't like you know these scariest part of Dracula. I don't, I don't like that part because <laughs> that always that scared part. me. I always had to close my in the beginning for for you old schoolers that lived in the Bay Area when Creature Features was going. That was one of the scenes they showed during the intro, and I I never liked that scene. It, it was spooky, and I loved in uh, the the Shutter exclusive uh, their uh, um, what was that documentary called. Uh, uh, horror noir yeah that they go and they show how they did it and it was uh, back then it was new uh camera technology because they were saying that there was some you know some jillion dollar camera that they didn't want them to use but the studio sent it over so we got to use it and that was probably the spookiest scene when that vampire girl black vampire lady just comes running running down the hall in slow motion I don't like that part. Even it's what makes that scene scary is not only her running, but the sound, the music and the sound she's making, like how it's all echoey and how she's screaming. And it's all echoey. It's like, like seriously, man, what do you, what do you freaking do in, in real life? Like when some comes like the scene, Texas <laughs> Chainsaw Massacre too, when they're having that long line of dialogue, 
and then there's that dark room right next to him and then the, he she turns the light on and Leatherface just comes <laughs> shooting out of that room. I don't it's know. Like, man. Damn, you were standing there the whole time. <laughs> um I've started many chainsaws, but I'm sure he's much stronger than me. But man, it was like as soon as the light came out, it was all like he just <laughs> pulled it and it was already roaring and ready to go. Yeah, that that the first time I saw that scene, it freaked me out. Speaking of that film, uh, my son Eric and I, uh, he's he's only seen the first uh, Texas Chainsaw, so I told him I said, "Well, let's watch it, then we'll." Uh, spoiler alert: we're gonna we're gonna do that one uh, later on uh, with uh, my son and I. So, but so yeah, Kolchek goes into the house. It's this creepy old house. Um, you go in, and it's like a vampire house and you go in there's uh, obviously he's not he didn't have it to live because there's uh, sheets over furniture and cobwebs and it's, it's dusty everywhere so Kolchek is walking around in there and that that's another thing i mean when you go looking for vampires don't go at night go during the day <laughs> <laughs> so he, I mean, it's, it's dark when when he's rolling around in there. That's is when he finds his his disguises and and then he finds the the refrigerator full of blood because he opens it up and it's full of those bottles that he stole. Uh, so he's like, oh, cool. So he goes upstairs. He's walking around. He opens up a door and there's a lady laying in the bed and she has uh, those. Was, I think it was empty. Uh, a bottle that was that was drained it was one of the ladies. Uh, the one with the dog. I guess I didn't realize that was her until you said it. He, yeah. he kidnapped her and put her on a bed. She's tied to a bed, and she's got uh, blood, um, the, those little rubber tubes or whatever going into her. So she's constantly full of blood, and he obviously sucks it out because you can see uh, the, the bite marks on her neck. So she, he's like kind of, oh, man. He's like, well, I, should I save her or what? But then he hears a car pull up, and we see that uh, Janos Skorzeny is home so he's like ah he kind of just runs and, and hides in a closet um this this scene scared me too because he comes in looks around doesn't see anything and then he goes back out the door and uh uh Kolchak is kind of like oh man well, what, what what should i do and then he sees the, the the door start to open again so he jumps into the closet and this is when uh scores and he opens up the door and he's standing there staring at him and uh, you could, this is where we first see his fangs and everything. Yeah, that looked that looked spooky. And that scene uh, to go back a little bit when he's watching uh, the lady walking in the parking lot, and they just show his eyes, his little bloodshot yeah. eyes. I I thought that looked that that part looked creepy. So he jumps out, and no, he pulls. Did he pull out his crucifix? Yeah, Kolchak whips his crucifix out, which is a, a famous picture if you ever google carl kolshak that's one of the first pictures that comes up is that it's that screenshot i sent you when i was watching it tonight of him holding up the crucifix yeah so he's kind of this is when we realize it is a vampire because uh for those of you that know i mean they they don't like crucifixes for some reason um so he's kind of backing up and hissing, kind of <laughs> making whatever noise <laughs> vampires make. <laughs> so he kind of backs him up. And uh, I, I like this because he, he basically gets out and he starts walking down the hall. 
And then he starts going down the stairs and then he trips over what? I mean, he, <laughs> he stumbles over his own feet and goes rolling down the stairs. But then he looks back up and he's gone. That vampire is gone. But then he starts walking down and then another good shot of the vampire is like him standing up on the, on the balcony, looking down at him and doing that crazy ass growl. Yeah, so he jumps down, and, and they're uh, struggling around. He's getting uh, thrown all over the house, and then he, he jumps on top of him, and he's, he's uh, trying to turn his head and trying to get slowly moving in to, to bite Kolchak in the neck, and um, his buddy comes running in. What's his buddy's name? Bernie. Yeah, he comes charging in, uh, Bernie Jinx, uh, Ralph Meeker, and they start wrestling around. Uh, I don't know what time, and it didn't seem like he was in that house very long, uh, but the sun was coming up because when, the, when they're wrestling around with him, uh, they uh, Kolchak like, tears open uh, one of the curtains and the sun comes pouring in, and uh, Janos uh, scores, and he's like, ah. I didn't like the noise he made. He sounded dumb. <laughs> he's, uh, he didn't start smoking or anything because the sunlight hit him directly. I love that when those in vampire films when – the sun hits them. That's when they start steaming and smoking and everything. He, um, like near dark. Yeah. It's like he didn't, nothing happened. He just kind of like, ah, got scared. He tried to run away. And then Bernie opens up the door, the front door, and the, and the sun comes pouring in. And uh, he's basically trapped by the sun. So he kind of falls down onto the stairs. And this is when Kolchak breaks out the, the wood stake and the mallet and drives it into his heart. But he just hammers it in once and then when he's about to do it again this is when sheriff lobo and the gang come uh bust <laughs> come busting in sheriff lobo <laughs> that's who he is man i don't care his what's his name oh his name is warren a butcher in this yeah. claude akins man all i see is sheriff lobo for those you old schoolers you know what i'm talking about so lobo comes busting in with, with his gang and they just stop him and we, we never really see anything else after that because then we see Kolchak is writing his story like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is my big break. He takes it to his editor and he's like, uh, yeah, it's a good story. You're going to print it? He goes, yeah, I'll print it. And then he kind of goes, hey, Carl. And he goes, yeah. He goes, hey, man, it was really nice working with you. But uh, so you're, a hell, you're a hell of a reporter. Yeah, the, the cops want to talk to you. So he, All right. So he rolls down there. And they're like, uh, okay. Um, well, they, they pull out the, his arrest papers, arrest warrant. Like, is your name Carl, whatever, Kolchak? And you reside at whatever, whatever in Las Vegas? He's like, yeah, you guys know who I am. And he goes, well, you're you're under arrest for the death of Yano Skorzenin. He's like, what? And then they're basically going to arrest him for me. Saved all of Las Vegas. And yeah, because they, they, they told him earlier, they're like, we'll go along with, with how you want to do this, but if we find out you're wrong, that this dude isn't a vampire, you're to be out of town, or we're going to arrest you. And then what they tell him at the end is that, you know, you, you have a short memory because we told you that we wanted to arrest him. And you charged in there and you killed him. So... You got your choice. You could stay here and do jail time, or you could beat it. So, once again, Kolchak saves the world, but gets kicked in the nuts at the same time. I know. So, I mean, that that's that sucked, man. I was like, 
again, they they just didn't want to look bad. Here, this little uh, rinky-dink reporter for a no-name newspaper figured it all out, and uh, all the manpower of the Las Vegas Police Department couldn't even uh, put uh, two pieces together. So, yeah, again, they, they just didn't want to look bad. So that was the reason they... They did that to him because they try it like in the, in the news report. They're trying to say that, oh, they they staked out the house. They knew where he was and then they charged it and got him. But they didn't know. I mean, I think Bernie might have called them before he went charging in there. But yeah, yeah, it, it was it was an awesome film, but a, a crappy ending for uh, our hero. They, Kolchak. they changed his story too in the new when hit the story he wrote for the newspaper. They're like. They said that Scorsney was killed in a gun battle with the police. <laughs> and he's like, what? He's like, man, look. And then, but I thought it was cool. Like, well, for, first of all, how the movie started was him playing on his little tape recorder, him playing the tapes of him talking about the story. And then he wrote that, that manuscript. He had a book that he wrote on his little, little uh, binder. And he's reading it. Then the, then the movie starts. And then at the end, you know, he's sitting on his bed in his little apartment drinking a beer. And he's listening to those the end of those tapes. And he's saying that, like, okay, it wasn't a vampire. Okay, if it wasn't a vampire, then why were all the victims cremated? And why was Yano Skorzny cremated? Like, if they weren't wor- if they weren't worried about vampires, why did they have these victims cremated? Because he's like, you know, as it goes, as the tale goes, whoever's killed by a vampire will come back as a vampire. And he's like, and then it just ends up where he's just like, he just laughs and throws his manuscript on the table. And then the credits start rolling. I always thought that was a cool ending. It was cool, man. But it just, I mean, he he saved Las Vegas and they just kick him in the balls and get lost. Yep. <laughs> You know there was a, a part two to that one. There was? Yeah, in, in the original Night Stalker uh, television series, because they never found that woman that he had in his house. Yeah, she disappeared. And we find out in later, in, in an episode of the Night Stalker, she shows up in L.A. She's a vampire in L.A. Well, now I'm going to have to scowl YouTube for that. that yeah, it's... It, it, it's on there. All the all the uh, Kolshak uh, episodes are on there. Well, it was on uh, Netflix, I think. I don't know the, if it still is the TV show. Yeah, YouTube has them, and they're they're pretty good quality. They're HD quality. So, um, but yeah, that uh, um, that whole this whole episode, the the Night Stalker film, is really just if you're a a horror aficionado like me and Nezar, like if you just love good classic film television movies, this is this is one of the best ones. This one, to me, like the top the my top ones are always gonna be this this one, um, Salem's Lot and um this one, Salem's Lot and V. Those are <laughs> those have always been my favorite like miniseries. And it, the original with Tim Curry. Yeah, so yeah, those, yeah this uh, this one was good, man. Again, thanks, Dad. Uh, 
Uh, my dad has introduced me to a ton of good things. Uh, for all you faithful listeners, you guys know uh, my dad introduces me to everything, and this was something he goes, "I think you'll like this one. Let's watch it." So I went, "All right, cool." I just sat there with my dad and watched it. And, uh, I was all tough in the beginning, and then when I realized it was vampires, I kind of got a little scared and kind of just sat on the couch. With it. <laughs> Dude, your dad is so dope, man. He took us to see the Blues Brothers at the drive-in. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember that going to see them in the uh, in the Wanderers. That's right. What is, what is, what was with the Wanderers? We didn't see the Wanderers was like the second film. We went to see something else. Um, I don't remember that. I, I remember it was Blues Brothers and uh, the Incredible Shrinking Woman with with Lily Tomlin. <laughs> that was but that forever. The, yeah, the Blues Brothers, and then. Uh, I forgot what we saw, but then yeah, the Wanderers was the second, the second feature. One one double feature I remember that I always remember us seeing was uh, Dracula and, and Jaws too. Yeah, that's when your your mom took us. And, um, I was always wondering because when we got there, they said uh, you're only going to see like maybe the last forty five minutes of uh, Dracula. So was there an intermission? Because we what we walked in and nothing was on the screen, then we sat down, and the movie started, and it was like halfway over. I think the um, I, well, I if I remember the um, the management there was pretty wacky, and I think the projectionist fell asleep, like a couple times, like when my dad and I went and saw uh, <laughs> went and saw Midway, and you know it was back in the day when that little thing was on the corner of the screen telling you to change the reel. Like, I guess the projectionist fell asleep because the film just ended. And everybody's like, oh, what? And all these guys are swearing around. And the guy came out and he's like, I'm sorry, are we getting it started? And then they went back and uh, then the second half of the film started. But that happened when I saw that, when I saw Midway there. And when I saw, um, when me and Kathy went and saw Alien. <laughs> to this so it's like their projectionist. It was this old dude, this like old Iranian dude. He always fell asleep. I didn't, but yeah, I didn't realize that they had it on two big reels. Um, the the theater here before it switched over to digital. Uh, Marky had a field trip there. We went up into the the projection room, and uh, I don't know. Usually, when they see like movies and and they go into these rooms, it's like one big projector and it's just one giant reel. I mean, it, it's a giant reel, but I guess the film was laying sideways on a like a big pizza tray. And mm-hmm. it, it just it would spin off that, and it was going into the projector, and then coming out, and then ending, I assume, onto the reel, because the, the guy was saying, "Well, they come in these these giant crates, and we have to take it off out of that and put it onto this big giant uh, pizza tray looking thing." I was like, "Damn, that's a lot of work." Yeah. Now you just stick in a little chip, and you're ready to rock. Well, that's like when when. T- Tarantino did a, um, what was it? Uh, Django. I think it was no Hateful Eight. When he did Hateful Eight, and he put it on uh, on film on in canisters, and a lot of the showings were delayed because they didn't have old school projectionists like dudes that knew. So the theater had to find people that knew how to run those machines, and because like a lot of people were complaining that when the film was showing. You know, it wasn't right. Is like it, it, you know, the sound was off. And, well, that's because you got these new folks who don't know what they're doing. Uh, you got to hire the old school grindhouse 
projection is to and i think that's cool you know like out here in la one of the biggest things is uh you know movies on on a reel so like they they recently showed the thing and um they a lot of john carpenter movies they show out here um because they're still on film um and I know that one day on Bucket List, you and I are going to have to go out and find that one theater that shows the original uh, Friday the 13th and 3D, Part 3. They show it once a year. Where's um, that? We st- that was like I back think east, in, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's in New York. But they do it once a year. They still have it, and it's in good condition. So I'm like, man, I want to I, I do that. That would be one of my, my things, like, that I, if I would ever have, you know, a few bucks to spare is to, you know, have an old grindhouse theater that just shows nothing but those kind of films. You know, just have special engagements, like show the original Jaws 3D. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. the, the two theaters that, that I go to for, for old films when they actually use film is uh, one's in San Francisco, uh, the Castro Theater. Uh, I know we went and saw um, Valley Girl there, and it was real it was uh, the actual film the 35 millimeter print so that was cool and there's a theater in dallas texas uh, the texas theater um i saw escape from new york there uh last year and this year i seen um rock and roll high school uh the escape from new york the film was, was decent i mean it wasn't all, all war and tour but the rock and roll high school when i saw it they said it they're like hey um this this film is old so it's it, it, it kind of has a uh, a red orangish uh, tint to it, and some people were like, "Oh man, uh, why did I pay for this?" And I'm like, oh. "Obviously, hey young, man, obviously youngsters." Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I was like, I didn't care. I was like, "Oh, cool, man. The, the seats aren't the, the the most comfortable thing in there, but you go over there for the ambience and the actual to see." films uh, that i'd never seen rock and roll high school on the big screen i always seen it on tv so i was i was hyped uh and ready for it so once the film came on and you did did have that little orange reddish haze it didn't bother me i was like oh wow man awesome the cigarette burns the little scratches in the screen the little the little crackle and pop uh, of the on the sound it it was it was awesome it did not bug me one bit uh it was (laughs) like um like uh what did um uh was it planet terror yeah well, it wasn't that bad they they went a little overboard on that but um i mean that's how it was man and it's cool when you when you find these old theaters i mean there's old theaters like that all over the place i'm sure there's a ton of them uh down in uh, la but it's cool i like going to those theaters i mean when i go to the texas theater one it's always uh right before texas frightmare they have some kind of screening there uh, so that was cool to see that because we met Adrian Barbeau when she was there for Escape from New York, and then uh, PJ Souls was there for Rock and Roll High School. She was Riff Randall, and uh, that was awesome time because as soon as the movie was over, she did her Q and A, which was awesome. I got pictures and she signed my Blu-ray. I wasn't thinking I should have brought my Halloween stuff, but I I don't know I was happy with the Rock and Roll High School uh, signing on my Blu-ray, and then uh, this Ramones cover band. Uh, sedated came on and just brought the house down and that was awesome so if you guys do have these old theaters appreciate it and try to get out there and see uh, as much as as you can when it's actually filmed yeah every now and then they do have the digital projectors as well 
Uh, again, that was the Texas Theater in Dallas, Texas, and the Castro Theater in the Castro in uh, San Francisco. So always awesome films there. But all right, everyone, that is going to be it this episode. Mike, thanks for coming on. Uh, you guys heard yep. him earlier this month with uh, Ma was the first uh, on the, the first of October. And I don't remember when we did Gargoyles, but that episode is out there. We're almost to the halfway point. Uh Tomorrow, we'll be at the halfway point of uh, 31 days of October. We've got plenty more. Brian will be back. Um, hopefully, I can get another interview. I, I just need to get a hold of him and line up a time. But, uh, Mike, what do you want to do next? Hmm. Let's do, uh, since it's midway point, let's do uh, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. All right. Is, was that on YouTube? Yeah. All right. Well, all right, everyone. Yeah, we're going to be. We'll be back with that one well, next time. I, I just need to find it and watch it. So, I haven't seen that. In, I think since you first showed me back when we were kids. Well, if, if um, are you going to come down this weekend? Yeah. Well, if you come down, we have time. We'll uh, we'll throw it on. All right, cool. Well, then we'll do that. We'll just do a commentary. We'll do a live viewing. Yeah, yeah we'll do a commentary check uh, for Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. What year did that come out? Mm, God, 80? 80? 80? I think it was 80 or 80, 80, like in that early 80s era. Probably 82. I don't remember. Yeah. All right, everyone. So uh, we'll be back in a few days with that. Um, Not sure what I'm going to put out uh, after this one, but uh, I got uh, some stuff sitting ready to go. So everyone, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Do check out the smudging that's streaming on Amazon if you guys haven't seen it. And hopefully you guys can be down San Francisco with us on uh, October 31st for uh, Mike's screening of The Party is Downstairs. It's a whole uh, American Indian Film Festival uh, event. Uh, tickets are 10 bucks, So you get all those short films, Mike's, and we'll be there. And, yeah, Mike's going to be taking pictures, signing autographs, kissing babies, uh, and all that. But, Hopefully, hopefully there ain't no babies in. I don't want no babies crying when we're watching movies. But I don't know. But we'll be down there, so everyone. So, but until next time, everyone, stay creepy and party on. So that's it. The book's finished, and now you'll have to judge for yourself. I must warn you, however, if you try to verify this account, you will find it quite impossible. Item, in Washington, D.C., there was no longer a file listing the suspect under his true name or any of his alleged aliases. Item, in Las Vegas, all of those who were involved have either left town, aren't talking, or are dead. I haven't had a decent night's sleep since all this happened. And now you might find it difficult, too. Because there is still one fact that cannot be buried. After the death of Janos Skorzeny, He and all of his victims were immediately cremated. Why? Remember the legend? All those who die from the bite of the vampire will return as a vampire, unless destroyed first. So think about it and try to tell yourself, wherever you may be, in the quiet of your home, in the safety of your bed, try to tell yourself it couldn't happen here.